Welcome to Prima's podcast. My name is Shonda Ragland. I am the Director of Education and Training at the Public Risk Management Association. On this Prima podcast, Joey Sylvester will discuss culture risk. Joey is a program manager for author Jay Gallagher and Company, specializing in unique coverage solutions and product development for public sector clients globally. He is also a member of Gallagher's Enterprise Risk Management Consulting Practice Group. Having earned a master's degree in industrial organizational psychology from New York University, he focuses on organizational culture, climate, leadership, motivation, and change management. Joey speaks often at conferences on risk management and culture change. We will also be joined by Danica Williams, a member of Prima's education and training team. Danica will moderate the discussion. Enjoy the show. Hi, Joey. Welcome to Prima Podcast, and thank you for taking time out to speak with us today. One of your areas of expertise is organizational culture. Why are you interested in culture? Well, first of all, thanks for having me uh, to answer the question. I learned about organizational culture when I was off getting my master's degree in industrial organizational psychology. I've been interested in it pretty much ever since. You know, organizational culture is one of those areas that is often talked about, but I'm finding seldom understood. You know, we hear our leaders both in industry and public sector, public entities talk about our respective cultures as the end-all be-all. They cite certain value statements about what it means to work at City of or XYZ company, but in truth, they're really just scratching the surface. Culture is broader than that. It's deeper. So for a long time, I've had this interest. I've read books on it. I've studied it. I've learned as much as I can about it. The question became, okay, well, how do I apply it? Where does this fit in? Where do I fit in with this, with this interest and, and knowledge? And it hit me when I went through a training on ERM, on ISO 31000. There's a principle of risk management embedded within the standard that says that risk management should take, and I'm quoting it, human and cultural factors into account. It has the word culture in there a few more times in the standard stating that risk management should be adapted to the organization's culture or embedded within the culture or other kind of similar statements. And yet there's very little guidance beyond that, almost no guidance whatsoever on culture beyond those few statements within the standard. We as the users of that standard are to decide what that even means and how to apply it. So I think my job or my focus the last year or so has been to help connect those dots. What do we mean when we say organizational culture? How does that relate to risk management and how do we apply it? So how do you define organizational culture? So that answer actually can sometimes change depending on who you're asking and who gives that answer. People tend to describe culture as like group norms, values, rules of the games, etc. Personally, I subscribe to a definition of organizational culture that comes from Edgar Schein. Now, Dr. Schein's definition is widely taught in graduate schools across the U.S. and probably the world. And his definition is generally considered to be the gold standard when it comes to defining organizational culture. And I'll just go ahead and read that definition for you because it really forms the basis of, of what I think it is and the basis of what I'm going to talk about for the rest of this um, podcast. 
he describes culture as a pattern of shared basic assumptions that was learned by a group as it solved its problems of external adaptation and internal integration that has worked well enough to be considered valid and therefore to be taught to new members as the correct way to perceive, think, and feel in relation to those problems. Now, in that definition, there's a lot of words. <laughs> what does that even mean? So let's just kind of go through that piece by piece and break it down. So first, it's a pattern of shared basic assumptions, and that shared word is a, is a pretty key word within that definition. What's unique about culture is that it has to be shared, right? Everyone comes into an organization or goes through their lives with their own individual assumptions about, about life, about the way the world works, and that's all well and good. But when we're talking about something like organizational culture, we're talking about those shared assumptions. They're shared by the group. Now, those shared basic assumptions, they were learned by a group as it solved its problems of external adaptation and internal integration, okay? These are assumptions that were learned by a group over time as it was solving the problems of dealing with the external environment and how to, how to organize internally to be the best that we can be. It learned how to do these things over time and it, and it solved these problems and it used these solutions for those problems. Those solutions needed to have worked well. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been rooted in the culture. So the solutions were, they worked well enough to be considered valid, and therefore they're taught to new members. We've all gone through job changes over the years. We go to different entities and organizations, and each entity and organization has its own unique culture that we're later indoctrinated into. So it's taught to new members whenever you join new groups. Um, one thing that's really important about this that I, I find that is actually lacking in other definitions that you might find anywhere else is embedded within that definition is a bit of an explanation about how culture is formed. It's formed sometimes a long time ago at the, at the original group formation stage, like when a city is founded or when, a, when an entrepreneur starts a, another organization. How it works is that leader wants things done a certain way. He or she gets compliance from their subordinates about how they should deal with their competitors, how they should organize internally, what systems they should have in place, the rules of behavior. They're really just getting compliance with the way they want things done in the beginning. If what that leader wants done leads to success for that group, then over time, that becomes the way of doing things. Fast forward years and years and years later, that becomes more of an unconscious, taken for granted way of doing things. That's eventually not up for debate. That's how culture takes root a long time ago, and it becomes embedded below the surface for a long time. Now, there's, there's, Another way we can look at it, we've all seen that iceberg picture, right? Think about that iceberg picture. You can Google it right now. It's basically the picture of the iceberg. We see the, the, the tip is just barely poking out over the surface, and then there's that whole mass of the iceberg that's below the surface. That's actually a great analogy for, for what I'm talking about regarding organizational culture. At the tip, and there are certain 
levels of organizational culture, which I'll go into right now. But at the tip, at the surface, that's what we call the artifacts. Okay. These are the visible products of the group, like organizational structures, processes, language, patterns of dress, the physical layout of a space, the way people talk to each other, the way people address the boss, if you will. That's what we see. But it's very difficult to interpret meaning or to infer meaning at this level. We can't just look at what's going on at the surface and say that's a culture because people dress in business casual. You know, it, it's not really, it can kind of tell you a little bit about a culture of an organization, but it doesn't tell you everything. It's only what we see at the surface. Below that, that second level are what we call the espoused beliefs and values. These are like the strategies, the goals, the philosophies, and that actually is where most people stop. But Edgar Schein goes a little bit deeper than that. And the reason he does this is because often those espoused values and beliefs don't really explain what it is that we see at the top. Sometimes the values even directly conflict with what we see at the top. Okay, There could be a value statement that is completely contradictory to what it is that we see actually going on in an organization. And we're seeing that in the news right now which all of this really implies there's something else going on here. There's something deeper, which brings us to that next level of culture, which is often, which is actually is rarely talked about, but really, in my opinion, and the opinion of most academics, I guess, make up what is the essence of organizational culture. This is called the underlying assumptions, which is referenced in that definition. These are like the unconscious taken for granted beliefs, perceptions, thoughts, and feelings about how to deal with the problems, again, of external adaptation and internal integration. They're unconscious. They're below the surface. And because of that, this makes culture a very stable, slow-to-change concept. It's very deep. It's far-reaching. And it actually is embedded into processes and actions throughout the organization. We hope you're enjoying the podcast. I would like to take a moment and invite you to attend our last 2016 Prima Enterprise Risk Management ERM training session. This training will take place November 29th and 30th in Phoenix, Arizona. Here are some words from Prima's ERM faculty member, Robin Flint, regarding why risk management professionals should attend Prima's ERM training. An enterprise-wide approach to risk management enables a public entity to consider the potential impact of all types of risk on all of its indices, processes, activities, stakeholders, products, or services. Second, ERM enables a public entity's risk management initiatives to deliver outputs, including compliance with applicable governance requirements, assurance to stakeholders regarding the management of risk, and overall improved decision-making. Third, and what I deem as most important, participants will learn how ISO 31000, or ERM, aligns a public entity's risk management strategy with the organization's goals and objectives. To learn more about Prima's ERM training, visit primacentral.org. Now back to Joey and Danica. You mentioned this briefly earlier, but how does culture relate to risk management? We only really have to look at the many examples of culture rearing its head to answer that question. 
and that can be that can mean a good thing or a bad thing. If risk is defined as uncertainty on objectives, I can think of nothing that would create more uncertainty on objectives than an organization's culture, especially given that it's generally below the surface and, it, and it's an unconscious concept in general. How could it not relate to risk management? Think back to the definition of culture. Culture is formed a long ago, long before we were ever employed by our respective entities and organizations, often a group formation. Okay. New members are indoctrinated into a group's culture, and that can work in a few different ways. Um, and b- before I directly answer the question, I just want to highlight a couple of studies, rather famous studies that were done. Uh, I want to say it was the 60s uh, by some psychologists, Solomon Ash and Stanley Milgram. Solomon Ash did a study on conformity where he basically put people in a room. I believe it was four people. We would call them probably actors. And he drew some lines on a board. On the left was one line of a certain uh, length, and on the right were three other lines of varying lengths. One of them was the exact same length as the line on the left. And there was a certain amount of space in between the line on the left and the three lines on the right. So they weren't right up next to each other. But you could tell which one was the correct one. So he had four actors and then one actual study participant who was just coming in that they were just judging to see what their reaction was. He asked the group, okay, the line on the left, which line on the right is the same length as the line on the left? And in the experiment, the four actors who went first, they each gave the same answer. Oh, it's line C, which was obviously incorrect. And by the time that it got to the participant, that person over half the time, I believe it was three quarters of the time, picked the wrong answer, knowing full well that it was the wrong answer, but they conformed to the group because they didn't want to stick out or whatever the case might be. Three quarters of the time, they picked the wrong answer on purpose, which is really interesting when we're talking about organizational culture. Coming into a new organization, we're indoctrinated quickly and effectively usually by our, our co-workers, because we don't want to stick out. We want to fall in line. The other study comes from Stanley Milgram, who was looking at obedience to authority. And this is sort of a controversial study on the topic, but it shows a really, really profound effect that leadership has on obedience to authority and conformity, Okay, which is, which is a great example of how culture is goes throughout an organization and is taught to new members. Stanley Milgram had an authority figure in the back of a room wearing like a white lab coat. He brought in the study participant who sat at a machine that would generate electrical currents and be sent to a person that was hidden behind a wall. The participant would ask the person through a microphone a question And if the person behind the wall got it wrong, he had to give that person an electrical shock. And the electrical shocks would get progressively worse throughout the entire experiment until at the very end, when it was something like 450 volts, it was a lot of voltage. That was the end of the experiment. So he would go through it. The person would go through it. They'd ask the question. They got it wrong. He would shock them. 
the person would make a sound in the other room and obviously the person would be screaming towards the end and actually towards the end a lot of the time they would just stop responding as if they had passed out lo and behold that person wasn't actually being shocked but the participant didn't know that at the time so what happened was what he found was the participant would sometimes resist it but the authority figure would tell him to keep going to please proceed and that person over two-thirds of the time took them all the way to 450 volts and shocked them until or even beyond after they had supposedly passed out because they did not want to disobey the authority figure. Culture works the same way. And when you combine it with the pressures of group conformity, it's a very, very effective indoctrination for new members. So I don't want us to go down the wrong road thinking that culture is good or bad. Culture just is what it is. But there are certain aspects of culture that might inhibit or might enhance what it is that you're trying to do. Culture drives behavior, it drives attitudes and beliefs, and it can have drastic consequences for overall performance. Culture is very far-reaching. So how could it not? How could it not be related to risk management when it relates to everything it is that we do? You know, there are some Typical roadblocks that we hear that I consider to be cultural, something like somebody says, well, my organization's very siloed, so they can't do certain things. Or there's like a lack of risk ownership when someone says, that's not my problem. Or my personal favorite, accidents happen. Or it's always been this way. Well, first of all, accidents don't just happen, but that's a very cultural thing. Like what part of an organization's culture leads people to believe that accidents happen? Say you're an entity with internal pressures to get work done quickly, so quickly, in fact, that people don't wear their PPE because it slows them down. Well, now we've got a cultural problem leading to a real risk management issue, and we've seen that play out in the news recently. In your opinion, did culture play a role in the recent Wells Fargo scandal? Oh, absolutely. How could it not? It's a very clear pattern that's organization-wide, resulting from intense sales pressures from the top down. At least that's how it's been reported in the media. The headlines over the years has made me think organizational culture not only has an effect on risk management and risks in general, but should probably be considered a risk to be managed in and of itself, culture risk, if you will. I highly doubt there was a value statement at Wells Fargo that says make money for the company by whatever means necessary, even if it's illegal. I really don't think that existed. Culture is deeper than that. It's below the surface and it can really lead to some bad things if we're not aware of what's going on, if we're not careful. Look at what happened with Enron. Most people would agree that's a cultural issue. Some people might look at the NFL or, or the recent FIFA scandal as cultural issues. It's a very, very far-reaching, profound effect on risk management. It's a risk in and of itself. We need to be aware of this before we can really manage it. You mentioned assumptions earlier. What exactly do you mean by that, and can you provide an example? Sure. Assumptions it's really are the essence of what I mean when I talk about organizational culture. Assumptions, typically, normally, they start out as behavioral norms that were instilled by a group's leader uh, at the very beginning. Remember, it starts out as compliance uh, with what that leader wants. Then, if it's successful, it kind of just becomes the norm. It's how we do things. It's just the way 
we go about our lives, at least our work lives. Over time, the way we do things after repeated success, they become like taken for granted, often unconscious. And when something's unconscious, it's not really up for debate. So it's it's a non-negotiable, unconscious, taken for granted assumption that started out as that behavioral norm of a group. It's a very powerful and it's also a very stabilizing force when we talk about assumptions. So I'll give you an example, and this was something that actually happened not that long ago, a few years back. Picture a construction site. Okay, well, what are the kinds of things that we see at a construction site? We see construction workers wearing hard hats. They're wearing PPE. We hope they're doing construction-type things. But what kind of attitudes and behaviors do we see at a construction site? Okay, we picture men most often. Right. They're doing man type work. They're doing very manly man's man type things. So what happened way back when, and I won't use any names to protect the innocent, but a new employee at a construction site, a new construction worker had gone to a job site, never been there before. He was new there. And this person had actually valued hygiene. So, you know, at construction sites, they have porta potties, portalettes. He brought in little like wet naps, like moist towelettes, because a lot of those porta potties they don't really have a, a good clean way for you to clean your hands after you use the the restroom. So he would use the porta potty, he would use the wet naps and move on about his day. That's something I personally can get behind. I value hygiene as well. So I have absolutely no problem with that. Why would I? The other construction workers, however, did have a problem with it. They saw him using moist towelettes, wet naps, and just jumped on him about it, called him names, um, um, homophobic remarks were thrown his way. Just he was very much harassed and ridiculed by the other employees. So fast forward several months later, that became a court case that made its way all the way up to the state Supreme Court based on what the other construction workers were doing. We see something like that. And that's a, a really, a really good example of how risk management relates to organizational culture. There's a culture that's associated with a construction site, at least that one in particular. And we have to come up with, okay, we see the behaviors at the top, but what is really the culture here is it lies in that underlying assumption. And after doing a lot of thinking about this and talking with other people, I believe I figured it out. The underlying assumption that applies to that construction site is you have to be a man to work here. Or not only that, you have to be a man's man to work here. So what could that kind of assumption do? What kind of negative influence could that have on your risk management efforts if the underlying assumption that is not only shared by the group, but encouraged by the group and reinforced by the group and company policies, what kind of negative effects might that have on your risk management program from that specific underlying assumption? This case made it all the way up to the state Supreme Court. That could have really drastic consequences for a risk management program. So that's what I'm talking about when I talk about assumptions and how it relates to risk management. In closing, what are some strategies to help shape or affect cultural change in an entity? Well, I think the first step is just understanding what it is we mean when we actually say the words organizational culture. You know, we have to know where we are now before we can even think about change. I would ask an entity, why do you think 
the culture needs to change. Where do you think your culture needs to change? We need to remember that culture should not be considered good or bad. It just is. And not to belabor the point, but certain aspects of that culture may be inhibiting what it is you're trying to do and certain aspects you might be able to use to enhance what it is you're trying to do. The aspects that might be inhibiting you should be looked at pretty closely as potential opportunities for change or at least obstacles to work around. I would encourage risk managers to think about their own cultures in a different way. Look at those levels that we talked about. Don't just take what is given to you. Don't just take what you see. Don't just stop at those artifacts and those and those strategies and philosophies. Let's look deeper. Okay. Think about it from a risk management perspective. What are you trying to accomplish? Have you been swimming upstream with something lately? Perhaps the answer is is truly cultural. To change a culture, it takes time. Remember, culture is very stable. It was formed long ago, long before you ever worked at your entity or your organization. It takes a lot of work, a lot of different initiatives and projects. Culture is very much a top-down process. That's how culture is formed in the first place, top-down. Recognizing what aspects of a culture that may have become dysfunctional and enacting change is one of the primary responsibilities of leadership. I would look to your leaders for help. Secondly, I would recommend reading up on change management. Personally, I really like the book Leading Change by John Cotter. It's an easy read and it gives a great eight-step process for organizational change. That again, is taught in graduate schools everywhere. Thank you very much, Joey. Well, thank you so much for having me. We have reached the end of our podcast. Thanks so much, Joey and Danica. Please visit the Prima website to listen to other Prima podcasts, join upcoming Prima webinars, read Prima blogs, and learn about additional Prima educational resources. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and our very own Prima Talk. Enjoy the rest of your day.